Welcome to Cloud Radio, made for full-stack cloud operators. Cloud Radio covers all aspects of the business of software. Well, we're happy to have Nick Franklin on today. He's the founder and CEO of ChartMogul, which is a subscription analytics SaaS suite. Uh, they've got over 2,500 SaaS customers, and he's built the business in a very lean way. They've only raised the seed round, but have scaled to 70 employees. And interestingly, they launched a CRM product offering. So they've gone multi-product very recently. And I think that's a very relevant topic for people to hear about. And then beyond that, they serve 2,500 SaaS companies. So he has a lot of insights across the industry. So we're really excited to have him. Nick, welcome to the show. Oh, thanks for having me, Matt. Really appreciate it. Glad to be here. Is there any more background you want to give folks on you know, your career or your company? I mean, I can do a brief intro. So yeah, the company was founded 2014. Yeah, we've raised, well, we actually raised three small seed rounds or three, three seed rounds in the first like two or three years, which totaled about $3.7 million. And yeah, I've been before ChartMogul, I worked at Zendesk. I was relatively early there. I was responsible for their international expansion in Europe and then Asia. So it's almost five years at Zendesk. And before that, Monsas, I was at a company that was acquired by Amazon and became uh, part of their Alexa product. So yeah, ChartMogul, yeah, I've been doing that for a long time. We've grown uh, 73, 74 people now. And yeah, like, so initially with venture capital and then the last like, few years, I guess, just reinvesting all the revenue as we grow. And yeah, just went multi-product about five weeks ago. So that's fun. <laughs> well, let's get into that. That's like a you know pretty big decision. And I think a lot of SaaS companies, you know, have reached that juncture where they have to decide on making a big bet, how to expand, where to expand. So could you kind of walk through like the overall timeline? When did you start thinking about it? What customer yeah. development did you do? Any input from the board? Just like the overall process here. Sure. We've had the idea of potentially a CRM for about five or six years, like ever since we added this, what we call customer lists feature, which is the ability to build custom tables of customers with like custom columns, selections, custom filters applied. We kind of saw, and there was, you know, customer profiles where you can add custom fields and fill out customer information. We added that about five or six years ago. And we kind of realized like, this is very much like the kind of features that you would have in a, in a CRM. And, you know, I use Salesforce a lot. So when I was at Zendesk, so I kind of like have some background using CRMs there. But we just felt like, you know, we want to focus on good to focus, focus, focus. And, you know, also we didn't have a team back then that was big enough to build and support multiple products. So I think that the timing, it was just a lot about timing where we felt like, it, I think it was like close to two years ago now, maybe a year and a half, mm -hmm. a year and a half ago that we made the final decision, probably, probably closer to two years ago from now, we decided like it's the right time to go for it. And I guess that there was a few parts of that, uh, you know, that decision making. So yeah, the first is that we saw that our customers were doing kind of more and more of these like CRM type activities in, in their accounts. Like they were adding notes to customer profiles, hmm. you know, things like that. I was using it in some ways as a sort of, sort of a CRM. You just couldn't, you know, create opportunities or deals. You know, you couldn't email the customer. It didn't have things like that, but it, it had, a, you know, it was a customer database. It had a lot of those features. So I, it felt like a natural sort of extension from a product design point of view. And then I felt that just the timing was right for us. You know, I think we, we felt like subscription analytics is great, but 
we want to maybe do more than just that, especially, you know, we've been at this for, you know, eight years, nine, eight years, and felt like, you know, keep things interesting as well. It's true. It's part of it, sort of selfish reasons, right? For us to keep things interesting, keep things fun, always working on the same product. So, and then I felt our team was big enough, so it could be big enough. So about two years ago, we made the decision. We did talk to our board. We explained, this is what we want to do. This is why we think it's a good idea. This is why we think, you know, we'll be successful by doing a CRM. And those reasons were kind of like, we, we feel like one of our values is kind of this value of excellence, which is, you know, we, we don't want to do something unless we feel like we can be the best at it, I guess. It's sort of, I guess it's kind of competitive nature. But we felt like, you know, if we can build the best subscription analytics in the product in the world, we want to do that. And so with CRM, we felt like if we can build the best CRM in the world for B2B SaaS, you know, maybe not generally, you know, if you're, if you're some other type of business, this is, this is not for you. But if you're a B2B SaaS business, could we build something that could be the best in the world for that type of business? And we felt that there's, that we could because by being focused on just B2B SaaS and also combining it with the subscription analytics part, there'd be enough synergies there you know, it, it could be something special. Like, you know, you, you can see the full customer history before the purchase and after the purchase, all the MRR movements, all the transactions, because we have all the billing and subscription metrics. And there was a, there would be just natural synergies. Like uh, one of the things we launched five weeks ago when we launched uh, the product was the ability to do this kind of cool funnel analysis. And that's combining data sets from the lead data, the opportunity data from this, you know, the sales team managing their pipeline all the way through to the purchase and the MRR metrics and the self-service part so there's some really unique analysis that we can do and it obviously it's not impossible to try and stitch that stuff together if you know if you do use like hubspot or salesforce or something but it probably would be hard to do it natively you'd have to like pull data into a data warehouse and then recreate all that stuff in like a tableau or look or something like that so it's not like impossible it's just like we can just give you that stuff single you know like out of the box because we have everything in one place so that's why we felt we could build the best thing CRM in the world for B2B SaaS. And yes, I think a couple of years ago, yeah, we, we had, we spoke to our, our board, you know, everyone was pretty excited about the idea, you know, probably they're a bit like us. They've been hearing updates about subscription analytics for seven, eight, seven plus years. And they're like, <laughs> I hear like two updates about two products. So they, they were excited about that. And we, you know, and the process to, was like, you know, the year before last even was like, let's design all this stuff. What do we need? Let's distill it. And a lot of the aim was like, let's, how do we get ourselves onto chart mobile CRM, our own sales team? That was kind of the launch criteria. We wanted a launch at the end of the end of last year, the end of 2022, it took us an extra three months. And we, we built up the engineering team. I think we hired an additional six, seven full stack engineers just so that we'd have enough capacity where we could build this out, but also not slow down on subscription analytics rate of innovation and rate of development. So yeah, I guess there was a whole bunch of decisions that sort of came together to make this, ha this you know, timing and product design decisions. And yeah, so it's early days. So we just kind of getting the initial reaction the last few weeks and kind of going from there. And how do you think about like product attach rate? Because I imagine, you know, everyone's using a CRM. And so some of your more mature customers are fully ingrained on HubSpot. Is this CRM best for someone who's coming to ChartMogul as a newer company? Or are you seeing anyone kind of leave HubSpot? And I mean, yeah, we, we haven't yet had anyone like fully migrate away from a major CRM. And we've only been in the market since, uh, you know, since April 4th. Yeah, I know. We, we have had conversations with those folks. And a lot of the time it's like, okay, what's missing? So, you know, what are the feature gaps? And they're like, but I think there is appetite. They're excited mm -hmm. about the concept of doing everything in one place, consolidation. 
and simplification. A lot of them feel like they're a bit overwhelmed by their CRM, you know, that they're, they're, they're too complicated. I'm not naming specific CRMs, but they just feel like they're a bit overwhelming. They're not focused on their business model of, of SaaS and they see the benefits of having it in one place. So there seems to be the appetite, but then when we get into the, okay, does it have these things? Like we don't even have a tasks feature yet, which is pretty core to CRM. So that was something that we, we, we've designed, but we didn't make it into the uh, launch, like into launch day. I think there's like two or three types of things that we can do to, uh, that we're basically going to do. One is like, we've got to bridge the feature gap. If we do want people to consider switching, we've got to bridge that feature gap. So that, you know, it's, there's enough there where they're not going to be losing too much by moving across from something. And that, that obviously they'll be gaining some things as well. And then in terms of the people that don't have a CRM, you know, there's something that we could kind of, consider kind of like passive adoption and sort of like, how do you nurture like passive adoption where people just who are already using the product just start to use some of the CRM features without really proactively thinking, oh, I'm switching CRM. You know, it's they just start yeah. seeing like, oh, you can email customers now. That's cool. Let's do that. <laughs> so uh, we kind of, I think there's also this, you know, like if we can get, you know, maybe there's like, I think there's like 8,000 weekly active users on the account across the customer base. If we can get, you know, some of those people just going like, oh, you can do this now. You can log a call. Let me log a call. So if, they, if we kind of sort of get enough people kind of doing like this, it's kind of like a, they might, it's a natural adoption where they're not really making that decision like, okay, we're going to switch CRM, like what's our RFP, you know, like, et cetera. It's more just like, so there's kind of, kind of taken two approaches, I guess, to try and, I think this is a long game. Like, I think it will be probably one to two years before CRM starts to be a serious part of our business and our revenue growth. It's still, it's, you know, it's still like, you know, 99.9% .9 right now on the subscription analytics product, <laughs> but we'll play the long game. It's, it'll take time. And it's interesting too, is you can kind of get hung up, right? On you have one CRM. It's well, in some ways, these things can very well coexist, you know, and as long as you design some data integrations or, you know, on the customer side, you're just yeah. thoughtful about how you're doing these things and tracking things. Yeah. You can use multiple things. And it sounds like you are, you know, hyper customized for SaaS. And there's yep, just yep. use cases that a traditional CRM is just not going to solve or is just cumbersome to do. Yeah, right, right. Interesting. Well, you know, I'm glad we were able to sync up on this because it has been new, right? And I know a lot of people think through a decision like this and appreciate like the transparency and just kind of an inside view of what it's really like to expand your product and, you know, make a really big bet as well. Right, you're you're committing to the CRM market, which is a big undertaking. Yep, yep. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to scare you with that that comment. But uh, the next thing we'll transition into is earlier this year, I was reading your retention report, which we'll include in the show notes. I actually had a little Twitter rant, right? Because one thing that really jumped out to me was if you look at the percentage of revenue from expansion and upsells was in the thirty percent plus range, you know, across your user base. And when I see that, you know, net revenue retention above 100%, expansion is obviously a great thing, just a beautiful business. But you can also look at that as a sign that, and you compare that in the past, that number used to be about 15% when you look at key bank data and how SaaS mm. was in 2015 and the like. And where I'm going with that is that reliance on expansion can also be a sign that new logo productivity is weak. And for you, not only are you an owner of a SaaS company or 
founder of a SaaS company. You, know, you have a huge customer base. So like, what's your take on that reliance on expansion versus new, new logo productivity? Is my rant totally off base? No, I think it's I think it's right on. And you know, we've had periods, not not at the moment, but we've had periods where we've been in that definitely been in that boat where it's like, oh look, we're growing really well. And like, yeah, maybe we're growing partly because of uh, new business, but more because of expansion. I would say during some of the pandemic boom times, some of our customers grew very fast, and we kind of grow with them and expand expand those accounts with them. And so it's like, oh look, our our growth rate's really good now. Yeah, aren't we doing a great job? But it's like, well, are we really doing a great job? <laughs> so I think it is healthier to get really good at acquiring new customers and keeping the customers that you already have sticking around. Like, obviously, the most unhealthiest business would be like one with a declining customer base but expanding revenue, and be like, well, there's less and less customers paying more and more. So what's going to happen? Like, you're <laughs> you're gonna <laughs> you're gonna end up with one customer paying you, you know, like. $10 million doesn't make any sense. So it's like, um, I totally agree that you kind of want to have a healthy balance. I think expansion always plays a mix, right? It always plays a part, but you know, you shouldn't really be expanding faster than, than, than like somehow the market is, is expanding. There's unsustainable levels there. So it's some natural expansion, you know, with the headcount of your own customer base, like seat-based pricing always kind of works like that. But, you know, if you're expanding too fast off of your customers, something's wrong. And in your instance, where are your new logos coming from? Are they the very earliest stage SaaS companies just getting set up on analytics? Are people switching over from bare metrics? Like, how do you think about new logos for your chart mogul? So, yeah, as you said, we have about two and a half thousand or so customers. So half of these is, is pretty evenly split between active free accounts and active paid accounts. So... Where do new logos come from? That's interesting question. A lot of it's like hard to track, like word of mouth and all that. Like most people, you know, they're, they're searching for chart mogul on Google or they're, they're doing word of mouth. We've, we've had some success recently in doing regular webinars and we do paid promotion for those webinars where we get like sort of three or four, 500 signups sometimes for webinar. It might, it might be a webinar about retention mm -hmm. specifically. That's something we did where we, you know, we released the report and then we do a webinar, we promote the webinar. We also promote the report and put the gated content around it so i think the marketing team is now committed to doing one of these signature style industry analysis reports every quarter so they'll do one a quarter like two months to research one month to, to produce and and then promote and then launch and that produces quite a lot of what we call non-trial leads or that's not what we that's what the marketing team calls them that's sort of what i call them where the initial touch point isn't oh look they you know they just came to the website and signed up for a trial it's like they went to a webinar downloaded a one of these reports etc we also do events and things like that where you get leads that are a little bit earlier in the journey they're not quite ready to try the product yet so we get a mix now it used to be for the before we had a marketing team or a you know, like a, we built that up. Uh, we should, over the last two years, we sort of built up a marketing team. We basically, 99% of the, the leads just came from coming to the website and creating a free trial. And that was a mix, you know, we got like co-marketing with, you know, where we were appearing on the Stripe app marketplace or recurly mm -hmm. integrations marketplace or something like that with these billing providers. They And we might do some co-webinar with them with recurly and promote. So there's some, there's all sorts of different ways to get new customers, I guess. I think word of mouth is usually the most powerful one, but you know, the marketing, we do all sorts of efforts, basically content events, online and offline events, things like that. Anything that we think could be a good idea. We don't spend a ton on pay-per-click or 
big tech ad, you know, Facebook ads or something. We, don't, we, don't, we do a bit of that, but I think it's sub $15,000 a month. It's not like a large amount. Yeah, there's definitely a ceiling on how many people are just out searching for subscription analytics in a given month. And, right, and exactly. And one of the fun things about CRM, it allows us to market into a another product category that's obviously like a, a larger product category. It's also a more competitive product category, but it, it does expand our surface area in which we can do marketing activity, right? So that's kind of that, that's a very interesting way to look at multi-product, right? It's kind of a subtle difference, but when you start thinking about yeah, expanding your marketing service area, and earlier you also covered, you know, it's more exciting for the team, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Secondary benefits here that are beyond, you know, sure, just we also, expanding. Yeah, I mean, we do, we don't actually not too worried about revenue generated from CRM. We're pricing it pretty cheap. Uh, it's it's this free. It's completely free for the first three users. And it has some, but if you have, if you're on the free plan, it says like sent from chart mogul, if you send an email out of it. So there's some like, hopefully what will become some sort of viral branding machine. But then if you pay, it's only $39 a seat. And it's like, so it's not really expensive compared with other CRMs. So we're not focusing super much, a lot on revenue generation. We think that if people use us for both CRM and analytics, they will get just more value out of the whole platform and our retention might be better as well. That's interesting. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> that's part of it. Very cool. Very cool. Reten retention part, yeah. I guess, you know, the last area I want to cover is, you know, I always admire SaaS companies that have been very efficient, right? You've, you know, grown to a you know very healthy level on a, a very modest capital base. And, like, what advice would you have to an earlier stage founder than you who's trying to do things capital efficiently. Right. I mean, I think if you're raising a lot of money, right, it has to make sense, right? I saw, uh, I think it was Jason Fried. Mm -hmm. They're always railing against VCs. I don't, I don't rail against VCs. I think VCs are, are great. You know, well, our, our ones have been. <laughs> <laughs> but he had a, a quote, which is like, you know, when, if you buy a, a plant, right, all plants, they need a little bit of water, right? But if you pour a bucket of water on them, it's just going to, it swamp, it kills the plant, right? It creates the rot and stuff, if anyone's ever tried that. Overwatering the plant kills it. Right. So I think you got to raise the right amount of money for the type of what you're trying to do and the market you're in. So I think like if we raised like 20 million dollars, I think it would have created more problems than it would have solved. So I think it depends on the type. I mean, and we've generated more than that. You know, I was looking recently, we've generated over 30 million dollars in customer revenues over the years. It's not like we've only just done this all on 3.7. <laughs> There's also the money from the customers. but. Yeah, I guess we've taken certain decisions that make us more capital efficient, right? So headcount is always the most expensive thing, right? So like, I think it's close to 80% of our spending is on is on headcount. And that, you know, we don't have software engineers based like in the US or based in London or in Switzerland or these really expensive places where, you know, we generally benchmark to Berlin, which is not like the cheapest market, but we, you know, that's, we sort of benchmark to Berlin and try to be competitive, you know, with our peer companies across Europe. You know, we have sales and customer success and support based out of Toronto, which I don't know, I haven't really looked at like what that means, you know, because a lot of our customers are in the US and, and Canada and just like that, that, that didn't really happen. That decision wasn't really cost related. It was more just we found one guy there and he happened to know somebody else. And so it just kind of happened organically. But I think if we tried to do that in somewhere like New York or San Francisco, which just would have been like non-economical. I think there's, there's definitely an element of like, you know, we do most of our R&D 
product development in Europe and Asia, and then we do our kind of you know other functions in Europe or, or Canada or something like this. So that obviously impacts things. For the longest time, we were hosting the whole product on DigitalOcean. Mm-hmm. Extremely low cost, but yeah, we did migrate from that to AWS, and like the cost like exploded, like from sub 10k a month to like 30 something thousand dollars a month, like overnight. So that was uh, <laughs> that was a bit of pill to swallow at the time, but you know, I think without we, we needed to make that shift. So, but we didn't do that for quite some years. I think it was like only two or two years ago or so that we made that shift. So yeah, I think I don't know. Like, there's lots of ways to kind of be frugal, I guess, and like when we're growing fast. We tend to be less frugal. And when things are a bit, you know, we're growing less fast, we'll be more frugal and be like, okay, maybe we won't have this extravagant offsite, like, you know, or some, you know, there's, there's different ways to kind of cut back as you, as the market is to, to react to the market, I suppose. Interesting. And let's just, again, for a founder who's trying to learn from you, trying to determine, you know, where they might you know, co-locate or let's just say Toronto and Berlin are tapped out. Like, how would you go about thinking for a new geography for your employees? Well, we have, I'm here in Seoul in South Korea, which is a great market. It is competitive to hire here, but because of the Korean won being quite bigger than the dollar, can pay very competitively so we can compete with the top, very top tier Samsung, like Kakao, uh, Naver, these are the top like technology companies. So we, we can compete with uh, those companies in terms of compensation, maybe not in terms of like, you know, status, <laughs> because there's a lot of yeah. status that goes with working at uh, some Samsung or something here. And in your community and stuff, you know, you, you make a lot of friends and stuff, you work at those uh, big companies. So they're, they're, we can't compete on that level. You know, we only have like seven or eight, eight folks here, uh, in, our, in the sole office, but you know, that's interesting, you know, whereas, you know, we can't, even if we're in the US, we can't compete with uh, Google and, uh, and Facebook on compensation. So yeah, I think there's, there's definitely, that's sort of still opportunities for that, for that kind of arbit- arbitrage. I think, I think we became less, as our revenues got bigger, we became less, you know, trying to optimize that stuff as we used to. But in the early days, yeah, like we always like maybe hire, you know, try to hire engineers for lower cost in Eastern Europe and things like that. And we still have engineers in Eastern Europe. It's just like we benchmark their salary now more. We level like the salaries more fairly. So I think in the early days when we're really being, I don't know what you'd say the right mode is, but like a <laughs> uh, very early stage scrappy, scrappy mode, definitely, you know, there's still ways to, you know, use Upwork or used to be called Odesk, now Upwork to find engineers in Eastern Europe and things like that. Yeah, that's probably the, the biggest thing that I think most founders do is like Eastern European engineering via Upwork or as contractors until you're until you have enough traction to make things more normalize things in some way. All right. Well, that's very good advice. And it obviously worked for you. And then always like to cover something, you know, actionable and tactical chart moguls obviously done well. So that tends to imply you've hired some good people. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. What do you look for? And like, what are some of your best interview questions? I mean, in terms of the people, I guess, you know, hiring like the senior people, especially, but then even if you hire junior people, you kind of want to hire or just, a, you know, mid-level hire, you kind of want to hire people that have the potential to become uh, senior in the future. Uh, right. So I think the biggest thing is people that take pride in their work. I think that's the biggest thing. You know, they really care. It's not just like, you know, they really care about the work they're doing and they really care about the company. They take pride in their work, you know, 
So if they're doing, if they feel like we haven't done a good job, then they'll, they'll take kind of personal, they, uh, you know, but they feel it personally and they want to like fix that. So I think if you have people with that characteristic, it kind of makes the whole process of management and leadership like a lot easier because, you know, you have, because, you know, people have that sense of, there's a word for it that's, that's, that's escaping me, conscientiousness, I guess, mm-hmm. that's what I'm trying to say. So I think that's super important. And obviously, and competence, you know, you have to have people that are highly competent. And I think one of our things is, this is like stolen from Apple, I think, which is like the experts leading experts, you know, where the leadership should be, you know, people that are really good at the the craft that they're leading, right? Like, you know, I don't know if this is true, because I've never worked in architecture. But I, you know, I assume if you're if you're working in an architecture firm, the the senior partners who own the and run the firm, you know, they're not doing a lot of the the heavy lifting, but probably at some point they were like extremely hands-on and skilled architects. And so the, the younger or, you know, less senior folks can kind of look up to them, learn from them and respect them. So I feel like we kind of want to have the approach where, you know, the senior folks are really, really highly competent and skilled in, in that domain. And the, so people that can be inspired to work for them. And then if you combine that with, yeah, pride and conscientiousness about the work with competence and fun to work, you know, enjoyable to work with and, you know, these kind of things, then I think that's kind of a great high usually. Awesome. Is your management style like very hands-on, sleeves up like the, the architect you reference? So I run, still run the product. Like we don't have a VP of product. I think we have a VP or, or sort of like head of type position for every other department except for the product team. So yeah, I try to lead that. I mean, sometimes I feel like maybe I wearing two hats as CEO and VP product. Maybe I can't be the best of, of either, but I feel like it's also for me to what I enjoy doing as well. And, and I think, you know, it might be harder for the company to make these things like these decisions to, to build a CRM if I wasn't in that position, you know, also running product as well. So, yeah, so I guess uh, to a degree, although I was never like, the, I did work as a product manager a long time ago, but I wouldn't say that I really became like, you know, a top product manager designer i think i think um most of that was done at chart mogul the last like not eight nine years i've just been doing product design for the last you know since starting the company like every week i do probably some level either reviewing somebody else's design or and giving some of the feedback or, or doing some myself occasionally as well that's very interesting and again you know thank you for the transparency there you know as we're wrapping up I'll plug the fact that you guys have a great newsletter. I've subscribed to it for years now. It curates the best of SaaS. Like, what are other things people should check out from Chartmogul? Oh, well, I guess if you're, this is just on my mind because I'm going to London in, you know, in a few weeks. So if you're around uh, in London on the 6th or 7th of, of June, where we'll have a, a booth there and, and there'll be a bunch of people from the team. So at, the, at Saster, Saster Europa in London in, 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 a, in about three or four weeks. So that's something to check out if you happen to be in uh, London or, or want to attend that. And then, yeah, I don't know. If you're a founder, we do have a community that's sort of, I guess it's, it's sort of slightly separate, but it's called mogul.io. That's a founder CEO SaaS community that we run on top of Slack, but you can go to mogul.io URL and sign up if you're interested to join a private community with other SaaS founders. Awesome. Well, we'll be sure to include those in the show notes. And uh, again, really appreciate all the transparency as you you know go through your multi-product expansion and all the insights from over the years. So again, thank you. Uh, thanks so much for having me, Matt. Appreciate it.